With me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. This is God's Word. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, These are only the poor. They have no sense, for they did not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many, their apostasies are great. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are not gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped through the houses of whores. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. Your fortified cities in which you trust, they shall be beat down with a sword. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. 
They have turned aside and gone astray. They do not say in their hearts, Let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds and deeds of evil. They judge not with the justice that judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things? declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you would cause our ears to hear. We know that our hearts have been hard. But we come before you asking you to soften them. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May we not be like Judah is portrayed in this passage. May we not be hardened toward you. May our faces not be like rock. Soften us to hear and respond and receive your word. It's a good benefit for us. Thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Words are powerful. Many of us learned growing up the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And how long did it take us to figure out how stupid that saying is? Um, How dumb, how meaningless, how, well, we get the sentiment behind it, don't we? I mean, we don't want to be bullied by words, we want to overcome harsh words, but all of us have felt the sting of words used to harm. I would say that almost everyone, if not everyone in here, has felt the deep wounds of words that have been used to harm. Words are powerful, and they can bring health, but they can also bring harm. Proverbs 16.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Yet in James we read, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. For every kind of beast has been tamed by humans, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. So which is it? Health or harm? Well, as we know, it's both. And it depends. It depends on the words used. It depends on the tone used. It depends on the timing of the words as they are used. The point is is that words have power even though they are just words. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. What a blessing our words can be. In chapter 5, Jeremiah is told by the Lord that he's going to send him and he's going to make his words like fire. 
It's going to make the people like wood, that they are going to be consumed by the words, the words of judgment, the words of warning. It is a word picture. We can see this. We can imagine what fire is like. We know what fire does. We know that it can bring great damage. And we see in this pronouncement that the warning or the judgment, warning of judgment that God has given Jeremiah is something that is both deserved. We've seen this building up so far. And it's both, as it's happening here, being warned against. The people are without excuse. God did not come at his people with some kind of gotcha approach as if to surprise them. He had sent his messengers. But as we've seen Jeremiah recount, the people did not want to hear, do not want to hear. They plug their ears. They cover their eyes. They don't want to hear what God has to say. And yet, they are without excuse. Now, this particular word picture causes us to think of the harm of the words that they will consume or burn up. But what we actually see at this part of the story is that the words are given to bring health. The words are given to bring health because they're words of warning at this point. They're words of correction. To warn someone in sin, to call them to turn from, from what is wrong is a good thing. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Yet keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is not revolutionary. We get this. We see someone about to make a mistake, especially you who are parents. You know that you want to correct and warn the child, do not do this, or there is a consequence, right? Something bad is going to happen. Is there other times where this hurts a child's feelings? Well, of course, we all know what temper tantrums are because a child doesn't get what they want. And yet we know it's better for them to have this temporary discomfort so as not to get what we are warning them against, a hot stove, whatever it is that would cause them harm. And yet here with this warning is both the warning not to do it and the instruction of what is coming, this judgment that is coming against them. In the town that I grew up in, we had a a sign that hung about a few hundred feet before a bridge. It was hung at the same height as the bridge. And the sign stated, this is not a joke, if you hit this sign, you will hit that bridge. And I remember driving under this sign many, many times. Many people thought it was an insult to their intelligence. Many people have made fun of a dumb southern town for hanging such a sign. But I can tell you the wounds of those words, if you hit this sign, you will hit that bridge, were minor compared to the wound of hitting that bridge. And the bridge got hit a lot. I had to look this up this week. I didn't know this part of the history, but the bridge was hit about four times a year until they hung the sign. After they hung the sign, the bridge was only hit four times over the next 15 years before the bridge and the sign were torn down. And it makes me wonder if we don't need more signs like this in our world. Jeremiah was sent with a sign. He was sent with a message. Words that may have been offensive, words that may have been uncomfortable for the people to hear, but if they weren't heated then the sting of those words would have been insignificant compared to the utter destruction that was coming. And so beginning in verse 1, we hear the voice of the Lord. Now by way of a reminder, in, in this section, verses or chapters 4 to 6, we see a mix of voices. We hear the Lord's voice, we hear Jeremiah's voice, we hear the people's voice. And so in the beginning here, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah, and he gives him the instruction to run through the streets 
to see if there is anyone who does justice and seeks the truth that I may pardon her. Now we know this is the Lord's voice because that I may pardon her is only the Lord's prerogative. Only God can forgive sin. But why does the Lord send Jeremiah on this errand? Why does he send him to a place among a people whose hearts he knows are hard against him? Well, the this prophetic exercise, as it were, this object lesson of him running through the streets was meant as a teaching tool. It was meant to instruct the people that they might see, that they might learn. Because the people have lived religiously. In verse 2, they say things like, as the Lord lives, which was their external piety, but we see that their hearts were far from God. There's nothing wrong with saying this. This phrase was used when they would take oaths. But God exposes their hearts because they were disingenuous. It's the equivalent of someone coming up and robbing you and then saying, God bless you, as if that was supposed to make you feel better. This is how the people were acting. In verse 3, we hear Jeremiah respond, and it seems to be either after the discipline has already begun or referring back to some previous discipline in, in Israel's history, but I think it's likely pointing to the discipline of the northern kingdom of Israel who were carried off into exile by the Assyrians a few years before this, because this was referred to in chapter 4 in the same way. They should have learned from their brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom. They should have softened their hearts, but instead, what had they done? They had plugged their ears, they had covered their eyes to the prophets that Yahweh had sent to them. And so Jeremiah tries to understand this. Why is this? In verse 4, he tries to explain, well, it's... The the poor, the common, they don't know any better. They haven't been taught. They have not had the privilege of the instruction of the religious schools that those who were groomed as priests and prophets and leaders would have. And so he goes to see them. They'll know. They know the Lord. They've been taught. They'll understand. And yet, what what does he find? He finds the same thing, that they too, everyone, has broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. They are all hardened against God and in rebellious against Him. From the lowest to the highest... There aren't any found who love God with all their heart and mind. Psalm 14.3 states, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Yes, we see that God preserves a remnant of those who put their trust in Him. But no one has a righteousness of their own. And the emphasis here is on the rebelliousness of the people of Judah as a whole. They They have walked away from their God. And so because of this, God is going to send an army. And in verse 6, we see it depicted by these three animals, all of which are predators, lion, wolf, and leopard. Because their transgressions are many, their apostasies are great. The the judgment, the the judging army is coming. Now then verses 7 to 13 portrays the Lord's reasoning for the discipline that he's sending. They have sworn by false gods who he says are no gods at all. They have committed adultery. This was true both literally and spiritually. He had provided for them. He had brought them into the promised land. He had given them abundance. And yet what were they doing? They were lusting after what was not theirs. They were looking for what the, to, to what they didn't have. So the answer is clear to his question in, in verse 9, a rhetorical question. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? So for this, he will instruct this invading army to strip away the branches. It's more than just a pruning. They're going to come in and uproot. They're going to strip away. They're going to tear down. They're going to consume the land. And yet embedded in this, as we've already seen, is this whisper of hope. 
that he will not allow them, this invading army, to make a full end to his people. Verse 10. It's a whisper we've already heard, and it's a whisper we'll hear again. And God knows that we need to hear this. From Genesis 3, all throughout Scripture, are these whispers of the hope of redemption that God gives to his people. Even when they're hard, hard in heart against him, even when they're rebellious, he tells them that there is hope of redemption. He then adds to the indictment that the people have uh, perpetuated a lie about God himself. They have believed a false thing, and they have repeated this false thing. In their treachery, they have stated in verse 12, He will do nothing, no disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. And yet in the end, he says, it shall be done to them. So deny it all you might, it is coming, he tells the people. In verses 14 to 17, we see the the end that awaits the people of Judah, that Jeremiah's words would be made into fire and the people into wood and that they would be consumed. They refuse to believe that if you hit this sign, you will hit that bridge. And so the judgment of the bridge awaits them. They refuse the sign, the message that was sent through Jeremiah. The very words of the prophet foretell the judgment that's coming. They become, in a sense, the judgment themselves. Or itself. In verse 15, we begin to see the details of this nation. Babylon has not been identified. We've simply peeked ahead. That's why we know it's Babylon that's coming. But we begin to get some more details here in verse 15. A nation from afar, an enduring nation, an ancient nation. What is this referring back to? Well, likely back to Genesis 11, where we see the origins of Babylon in the city of Babel. It goes all the way back there. And I think this is even echoed in the fact that he points to the language can't be understood. We think of the, tower, the story of the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages. And so the people are going to be attacked by this ancient nation in discipline. They're going to be confused by language that they do not understand from this invading army. And then he adds that these warriors that are coming are skilled. They're not rookies. They're going to come in and they're going to do their job. Their quiver is full. They're ready to fight. And they are going to consume or eat up the entire land four times Babylon will eat up their food, their supplies, their people, their herds, and their vines. Even their fortified cities would not be able to stand. We remember at the beginning of chapter 4, they were told to run to the fortified cities. Those were the storm shelters, so to speak, that had been placed all or built all around the land for, for times of invasion, just like we would put storm shelters up for a storm that comes. And God says to his people that the, the shelters aren't even going to save you. The fortified cities are going to fall under the sword. And then just as we saw in 7 to 13, verses 18 and 19 give the reasoning with the promise of hope that even though God is just and righteous in his discipline, they have forsaken me and served foreign gods, yet he promises again, I will not make a full end. Yahweh continues to echo this promise that he will redeem and spare a remnant for himself. We need these words of hope. We need the reminders of hope. We need the sign that tells us again and again there is hope in this difficult and dark world. We have a sign that's given to us today that's before us in this table that we need to hear the echo of hope that we have a peace and a truth and a reality that's beyond what this world declares to us, beyond what we can see and understand in our own experience. God says to us over and over again, trust me, trust me. In this final section, verses 20 to 31, we read another declaration against the people of Judah who are described here as foolish and senseless. They have eyes and ears, but they do not see or hear. Yet they can't plead ignorance because God has spoken to them. He has shown them. 
God has revealed Himself to them. Even in nature, He points out. Even in nature. Look to the sand. Look to the sea. The waves obey. The wind and the waves obey. They don't come past. Yet His people remain rebellious and stubborn in their hearts. I think this is a warning even for us in this moment. That we, we come and we gather and worship. How are our hearts? How do we respond? Are we cold? Are we indifferent? Do we plug our ears? Do we cover our eyes? May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work even in the moment as we hear God's word. In verse 24, we see that God again points to nature, this time to his provision. He has sent the rains. He has provided for the harvest that they would have food, but their continual sinning has kept good from them. They are wicked in their neglect to the poor and the needy. It's interesting that God points this out. But He does this throughout Scripture. God's heart for the needy is clear if you read through His Word. And instead of recognizing the fatherless and the widow and those who were in need, the oppressed, they have instead acted as predators. They have sought to take advantage of those who were disadvantaged. They had sought to pursue the weak instead of helping them to use them for their own advantage, to make themselves rich. God's people are to possess and demonstrate His heart in caring for the least of these. In James, we read, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Christians should not only participate in charity, Not only should we give of our money, which is often the easiest thing to do, we should stand against predatory practices in business and in government that take advantage and oppress others. We should stand against these things. Our charity shouldn't be just lip service. shouldn't be just that which is convenient. But we are to be generous with our very lives, giving up of what we, being willing and, and giving up what we have, not just out of our abundance, just what's convenient or what's easy, but being willing to sacrifice for the needs of others. We all have opportunities. This is not just the job for the church, although it is. And we, we corporately can do more together than we can on our own, but we also have opportunities individually to defend the rights of the needy. I know many of you are engaged in such practices. You're involved in the things of helping those who are in need. And may we continue to do this, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. The the challenge of that repeated phrase over and over, that, that the people are senseless, that they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, is not just that they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of God through the prophet Jeremiah. It's it's just pointed out here, they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear the needs around them. They're running around as blind. They're choosing to look at what they want to look at. And, and, and that can be a real temptation for us because we live in such affluence. We live in such comfort and such ease. Do we stop? Do we take the time to consider what needs are around us and what we can respond to? People of Judah had closed their hearts, closed their eyes, closed their ears. They had lived rebelliously against God and selfishly against their neighbors. And to this the Lord says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their discretion or direction. My people love to have it so, but what will come of you or what will you do when the end comes? What will you do when the end comes? Here the leaders are failing because they're simply tickling the ears of the people. They're saying what their itching ears wanted to hear. The people love to have it so. 
Yet because of the grievous sins, God sends Jeremiah not only to warn them with the words of fire, but to demonstrate by running through the streets in search of any who were righteous. The people could see. They couldn't refuse. They tried, but there is Jeremiah running around the streets. Can you imagine if I did something like that? I'm sure there are probably some pastors who are bold enough to do an object lesson in front of their congregation. I'm not one of those, so I will just speak. But can you imagine if I just, well, it probably wouldn't look very good running, but, you know, did something that was not, I mean, it would get your attention. You would see it, you would notice it. And this is, this is in the everyday life. Here's Jeremiah running through the city. He's proclaiming that his words are going to consume them. Yet the object lesson, even though that he had proclaimed with his words and now he's running through the streets, this object lesson proves they would not listen. They refused. They would hit the sign and they would hit the bridge. And judgment was coming. Well, as I mentioned, God gives us signs. He gives us his word so that we can understand and know him. And he gives us this table to demonstrate both the judgment and the promise of the gospel. We have this table that is spread before us as a sign. A sign that is not warning us of a bridge, but it does warn us of a judgment to come. I mean, these are t- tangible elements that we say we can, we can hold them, we can taste, we can see, we can touch. And yet they point to the hope of the gospel, but they also point to judgment. Because in this table, the judgment of God has been poured out upon the Son. His body broken, demonstrated in the bread. His blood spilled or poured out, demonstrated in the wine. And this, this table then warns us of the judgment to come, especially if you've never believed. This table warns you that if, if you don't look to Christ, who's taken that judgment upon himself, then you'll have to receive that judgment. He is your substitute, but you must come to him and trust in him to take away your sin and forgive them and credit you with his righteousness. What we read or what we sang of this morning, clothing us with these, or maybe it was, yeah, we, it was in the prayer. Uh, but the, the robes of righteousness, right? Uh, the, the, this is what Jesus gives us, but it's only by faith. The warning in the table is present for those who refuse to believe or have yet to believe. If you will not turn to Jesus from your sin and believe in him for forgiveness, then you will receive the just judgment of God. What was poured out upon him, the wages of sin is death. It's what we've earned. And the warning of the table is for your benefit. Just as the sign warns of hitting the bridge, this table warns of the judgment of God to come, that you by faith might turn and trust in him for forgiveness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so consider the question that the Lord asks at the end of this passage, what will you do in the end? What will you do? Don't turn your hearts away from the free gift of the gospel. Witness this table. Humble yourself and receive the forgiveness freely offered in Jesus. For you who are believers, the table of the Lord is this beautiful... It's a sign for us too, right? It's a sign of the promise of hope for all who are resting in Christ alone. It declares that the justice of God has been satisfied. It's been satisfied. Stop your toiling. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to to merit the favor of God. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. And this table declares that to us today. For you who believe the table not only proclaims the death of the Lord, but also is given to strengthen our faith as we walk through this life. The table shines the light so that we might see clearly our true hope as we live in what seems like a dark and hopeless world. 
The table proclaims real peace that our hearts might be comforted in a world that is restless and filled with strife. The table demonstrates the love of God and that while we were enemies of His, He sent Christ to die for us that we might be made the children of God. And that is what we are. His children, adopted and crowned with the glory that our Savior has given to us in imputing His righteousness to us. This is the true hope that we have. True, the true hope of the resurrection and eternal life to come. The true hope that all of our woes will be solved, will be fixed, will be repaired, and we will know true shalom, true peace, true wholeness, and everything will one day be made as it should be made. This is what this sign declares to us who are believers today. So come to the table and savor the sight, the wine and the bread that was broken. The bread is His body, the wine is His blood, and the one who provides them is true. He freely offers, we freely receive. To accept and believe Him is all we must do. Come to the table He's prepared for you, the bread of forgiveness, the wine of release. Come to the table and sit down beside Him. The Savior wants you to join in the feast. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the judgment that was foretold to Judah, the hardness of their hearts, we, we, we tremble because we know that at times our hearts are, our hearts are hard as well. And as your people, we, we don't want to walk that way. But life is hard. We face difficulty. There's temptation. There's the reality of sin in this world. We suffer the threats all around us. Would you, Lord, cause us to see your glory and your goodness as demonstrated through sending your Son to die in our place, that our sins might be forgiven? Lord, we cannot even imagine, we can't even imagine how hard and difficult and treacherous life would be if you had not intervened. That even though we walk through this life awaiting our final destination, this world is not our own, you have shown grace to us even in preserving us from how, evil we, how far we could descend into evil. Thank you, Lord, for your preserving work, for your saving work. But Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you to trust you that even though we face difficulties and even though we face hardships, you are making all things new. So may we look now to this table, a sign that is given to us, Lord, a sign of judgment to those who don't believe and a sign of hope and peace to us who do. Would you use this sign to accomplish all of your purposes in our lives, we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen.